Amen. 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 Good morning. Good to see you today. We're so glad you're here today. Good morning to those that are online this morning. Uh, Dylan, who used to be the youth pastor here, is actually preaching in Columbus today, so we're not simulcasting. But Dylan's going to be here next week, so we're excited about that. And we're excited about today. We're glad that you're here this morning. We have something to celebrate. Last Sunday night, Pastor Age baptized three college students at the Overflow service. So let's give God a hand for that. That's awesome. We can still see God's kingdom grown, even in the midst of a pandemic. Amen. We're excited for what God's doing. We're excited for today. We're in a series called Seasons, Learning to Navigate Them. And we've been talking about all kinds of different seasons uh, that life can bring. We kicked off this series a few weeks ago talking about that change is inevitable. Say that ugly word with me. Change is inevitable, right? There are seasons and changes to life. Kids keep growing, things keep happening, there's all kinds of stuff that takes place. And we've been studying that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 8, and it talks about there's a time to be born, and a time to harvest, and a time to build up, and all these different times. And today we're talking about a time to grieve. That's not really an exciting topic this morning, but the reality is it's an important topic. The grief season is a season that most of us want to avoid. Some of us are uncomfortable with. Many of us, maybe, in fact, if we've had something really bad happen to us, sometimes it's hard for us to even leave that season of grief. And here's what Solomon says about it. He says that there's a time for all these things, and there's also a time to weep, let's finish it together, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to... To dance. Next week, Dylan will be here and he's going to be talking about the season of dancing, which is talking about rejoicing and praising God. But today, it's, it, we're talking about the time to weep, that time where we don't really want to deal with it. There's a lot of things that can deal with, that cause us to go through that season of grief. Maybe, in fact, if we've lived long enough, we've had someone close to us pass away. The death of a person that we care deeply about can cause a season of grief. A relationship in our life that isn't right can cause grief. A season that used to be but isn't anymore. You see on Facebook moms throwing pictures of their kids who are going into high school or going into middle school or first day of kindergarten. There's that grieving season for moms and even for dads at times. Sometimes we have to gr- we grieve over something we've got to do. You're a boss and you've got to let somebody go and that's not something you necessarily want to do. You're grieving something that's ahead of you. You've got to take uh, you know, a test or you're dealing with something that you're grieving that hasn't happened yet. Maybe you'd like to start a family, but for whatever reason you're having trouble getting pregnant. You have health issues sometimes can, can cause grief. Maybe you're a healthy person by nature but you're going through a season where you're dealing with something or maybe even cancer related and you're not used to that and that can cause grief. There is a million things that can cause grief and there's a million reasons why we don't want to necessarily go through this process of grieving. When you think of grieving, it means to feel and express great sadness over someone something, or some season in our life. That's today's point. Say that with me. To feel and express great sadness over someone, something, or some season 
in our life. When we think about this idea of expressing and feeling sadness, sometimes we're not even aware of it. I don't know when it was, maybe two or three months ago, I was talking with Pastor Age, um, our college pastor. We were just talking about things, and he said, well, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm doing good. How many of you, even when things are bad, you kind of like to say, I'm fine, everything's good, you know, that's me. I'm fine, it's good. And he's like, dude, you're not good. I'm like, yeah, I'm good, I'm fine. I'm good. Things are good. No, you're not, dude. Shut up. No. No, you're you're not doing well. I'm like, man, you know, this this COVID thing and this everything else going on, people are afraid to come to church, and every time you turn the social media on, there's just this negative stuff, and you know, I'm good. And he's like, You're not good, dude. He's like, You're not good. And he looked at me and he's like, It's okay to not be good. And for some reason, you know, I just kind of dropped my guard and I'm like, I'm not good. It's okay. You know, we sometimes we'll go into seasons and we don't even recognize it at the time what's happening, but the truth is we still go through them. And let me just tell you something. The season of grief is a biblical thing, a healthy thing, and a necessary thing. Say that with me. The season of grief is a biblical thing, a healthy thing, and a necessary thing. Now, God's plan wasn't for grief to happen in the beginning, but because of sin, sorrow and sadness entered the world. But as a result of those things, as we live our life, there are going to be periods of grief, and it's a biblical, healthy, and necessary thing for us to deal with. There's a few different people, in fact, many different people in Scripture that went through all kinds of grief. And we, can't, we don't even have enough time to talk about all of them. But here's three, different quick exa- three or four quick examples of people who went through, through grief. Nehemiah, who God called to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. In fact, he was just grieved over the fact that back then a, a wall was what protected a city. And so back then when people, when a city didn't have a wall, I mean, they didn't have any protection and Nehemiah, he hears about that in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. He says, when I heard of this, I sat down in what, church? I sat down and wept. Have you ever just wept over something that's just not right? This is not right. And that's where Nehemiah was. In fact, for days I what, church? And fasted and what? And prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah didn't just mourn over someone that passed away. He mourned over a situation that was happening to him and his community. Peter, he mourned over his failure. You know, sometimes a season of mourning will take a long time. And then there's other types of mourning that God doesn't call us to for a long season, but we do need to mourn it. And Peter mourned his failure. In fact, what had taken place was Peter was one of Jesus' trusted disciples, not only a trusted disciple, but a part of his inner core. And what takes place, not to make, to make a long story short, is he said, hey, I've got your back all the way through this. And Jesus says, you don't. You're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. He's like, yeah, you will. So when they come to arrest Jesus and everybody starts to scatter, at some point, three different people say, hey, you're with Jesus. And Peter goes, no, no, I'm not, because I don't want to get in tr- No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. No, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. I'm telling you, I don't know the guy. And then the rooster crows. And when that rooster crows, Jesus' words had flashed before Peter, and let's finish it together, and he went away 
weeping bitterly. Now let me just stop there for just a second. We've got several stops in this message today. I'm going to stop here for just a second. I don't know if they're watching online or you're here today. But somebody has been grieving their failure. You said something you shouldn't have said. You did something that you shouldn't have done. Or maybe somebody else keeps trying to remind you of your failure. And it's prolonging this season of grieving. I think it's important for us to acknowledge that we made a mistake. I think it's important for us to say, I've sinned against God or I've done something that I shouldn't have done the same way that Peter did. Peter didn't just run to Jesus and say, hey, reinstate me. You know, we see in John chapter 21 where God forgives him for what happened. He didn't just do that. He spent a moment feeling and understanding the depth of what he's done. I've had people in my life, because sometimes I can be thick-headed. I know none of us can, but I can. I've had my wife tell me this before. I've had close friends tell me this before. Because I tend to want to brush a lot of emotional things out of the way. And they said, stop. You need to acknowledge this. You caused this, or this happened, or that happened, or whatever it is. Now, we're going to move on from this, but you need to acknowledge this. You need to understand what you did. I remember when we first married, my wife saying, you hurt me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, honey. I'm sorry. Stop. You hurt me. I'm going to forgive you, but you need to acknowledge that. You hurt me. The, the truth, you know, there's grace and truth. The truth people want to hold you over the fact that you hurt somebody for the rest of your life. And the grace people just kind of want to brush it off and act like it didn't happen. What, there is a season for grieving and saying, I did this and I hurt the Lord and I hurt someone else and I'm sorry for that. But the Bible, Jesus didn't die for us to stay in the grieving season. Amen. He died so that when we receive repentance, when we come before whoever, whether it's God or someone in our life, and we say, I acknowledge what I did, and I'm sorry for what I did, and I choose to the best of my ability to turn from what I did, then a season of mourning turns into a season of dancing, which we're going to be talking about next week. And Peter acknowledges his failure. Okay, this is a pit stop, but this is important. Peter acknowledges his failure. But unlike Judas, who let his failure define him when he hung himself on a tree, Peter chooses to make a different decision. And he says, my my failure is not going to define my life. And I'm going to move forward. I share that with you today because someone in here, I believe, is letting their failure define them. That's not the whole sermon today. It's a point of the sermon. But we've allowed our failure to define us. We've let somebody else. Some of you have an adult child that wants you to continue. wants to continue to remind you of the failures that you've had in your life. And God is bigger than your adult child. And if God has forgiven you, no one else has the right to hang that over your head. But what I also say to somebody today. Jesus died so that we can be forgiven, but we can't take advantage of grace to the point that we're continuing to to hurt somebody over and over and over. That isn't right either. When we think of the grieving season, there is a season 
where we remember our failure and we, and we understand it as much as we can. But we receive forgiveness through repentance and we're able to move forward. Let me tell you, of all the seasons we're talking about, you know, when you lose a child, that season's a lot longer than somebody who's focused on their failure. God, God understands there's a pain that, that, that we go with. We may move forward, but we just continue to deal with. But failing is a season that Jesus died so that it can end. Not that we'll, we'll fail again at some point in our lives, but the reality is, is that we don't have to continue to hit the replay button over and over and over. Peter mourned his failure. Job mourned the death of his children and worldly possessions. As I just mentioned a minute ago, some of you know people or maybe you've experienced it yourself. You have gone through things that, that don't go according to the natural order. We're never ready for our parents to pass. We're never ready for our grandparents to pass. And that's a pain. But in our minds, the natural order of things is for us to go before our kids go. Some of us have seen our, our children go before we go. Talk about grief. Some of us have experienced abuse and things in our life. This is a heavy message today, but a needed one. Some of us experienced things in our life that we would never tell another person. And what are you supposed to do with that? How are you supposed to handle that season that there's no real good place to put it? Job was a follower of God and, and worshiped the Lord and was faithful to God. And then all this stuff started happening to him. He loses a lot of his family and his worldly possessions. And in his grief, he stands up and he tears his robe and he falls to the ground, Scripture says, in grief. Jesus, I'm spending a lot of time describing scenarios, but I think that's important today because sometimes we think of grief and we put it in one category. There's a lot of different categories. These are just a few today. Jesus mourned not what, what, what happened. Jesus mourned what was getting ready to happen. In Matthew chapter uh, 26, he's, he's in the garden and he's asking his disciples to pray for him and everybody's kind of sitting around and they keep falling asleep and he, he's fully God, but he's also fully man and he's, he's realizing, I'm going to do what God's asked me to do, but he starts to, just starts to feel the weight of what he's going to have to do. And scripture says that he says, let's finish, let's read it together. My soul is crushed with grief to the point. Some of us have had some things happen to us in our life where it just feels like an elephant is sitting on your chest. There's been just like all of you. There's been times where I've dreaded something in front of me that I've got to deal with. Jesus is, is in that mode. Teachers, coaches, students, people in general can identify with some of this. So there's some things today. This is kind of a practical just practical thing that we need to know today. And I've got one thing at the very end. 
really two things at the very end that really is the whole basis of this message. I'm going to encourage you to consider. But there's some things we need to remember about the grief season. It's simply this. Here's the first one. Let's read it. It is okay to not be okay for a season. Now, you guys, I don't know if you did online, but those here, you guys didn't read that with much gusto. Ready? Let's try that again. This is an awkward topic. It's a painful topic, and for some of us, it's a close-to-home topic. But let's read this out loud. You ready? It's okay to not be okay for a season. That's not a female statement. That's not a male statement. That's not a masculine statement. That's not a a feminine statement. That's a humanity statement. It's okay to not be okay for a season. As I shared that story with you earlier, Age just looked at me. He's like, you're not okay. I'm like, I'm okay. You're not okay. I'm okay. You're not okay. I'm not okay. (laughs) I'm not okay. For those of you who have studied an Enneagram test, I'm a three on the Enneagram test. And a three is... No matter what's going on, I'm good. I can deal with it. Let's just keep pushing forward. I struggle with negativity. I want to just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep achieving, keep seeing things happen. We're good. We're good. We're good. My battery's going lower. We're good. We're good. We're good. About three months ago, I wasn't okay. I knew I was going to be okay. But I wasn't okay. And some of you, and some of me, some of us, we're not okay that someone else is not okay. We're not okay that we're not okay. Jesus was in the garden, He was God, but He wasn't okay. My soul is crushed to the point of death. Nehemiah was getting ready to rebuild the wall in 52 days. But he took a minute. And he's like, I'm not okay. And he weeps. Peter would go on to be one of the the most influential disciples that we've ever known. Wrote books of the Bible. And took a minute to understand what what his failure had done to his relationship with Jesus and the example that he had set. Peter wasn't okay. David, after he had slept with Bathsheba and and she got pregnant and the baby ended up dying, he, he ended up going on to do good things. But for a minute there, he was not okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. okay. I'll be honest with you. This whole stupid pandemic makes us not okay sometimes. Amen? It just does. And the other thing we need to know along with that as we're working through these is skipping the grieving process doesn't expedite healing. It prolongs it. Now that's the truth today. When I was a kid, my parents split, and um, I was never 
like, I didn't get straight A's or anything like that, but I had good grades. My grades, like, started plummeting. I was really depressed. I didn't, you know, I, I couldn't articulate as a kid what was happening to me. But I was still a three. That's my, my Enneagram number. I, I didn't know that's what I was. And so I just would try to pretend like I was good. And I started getting angry. My grades started suffering. A bunch of stuff happened that I won't go into. Why? Because I was trying to skip the grieving process. I was trying to skip the fact that I wasn't okay. And you know, we've all seen people who try to skip the grieving process, but the reality is if we try to skip the grieving process, it prolongs the process, and it's still going to come out in some other way. It may not be through the healthy spout, but it's going to come out through some other spout. Could come out through violence. I mean, we see, I used to be a youth pastor. You would see students who maybe their dad wasn't around or, or their mom wasn't around or they, they were, there was an abuse going on in some situation in their house. And as a result of that, as they, as they would get older, they'd get angrier and there was all this stuff going on. They didn't know why. They're grieving. They're not okay. But society says don't, don't deal with it. Just stuff it. So it comes out in other ways. Now, I'm not Dr. Phil, and I realize this message is a little bit different than normal. I googled the stages of grief. I've not studied this intimately. There's lots of different lists, but this, these seven here seem to keep coming back. Um, and here's, here's what people go through. When you hear the news about something that happened, all, many of us have heard news that we didn't like that wasn't just you got a bad grade, but like something bad. When that happens, the first stage is disbelief and shock. It's not registering. And then we go through a phase where we pretend it's not real. And you see this a lot sometimes when people have lost someone close to them. There's guilt and there's pain, and this season can last a long time. We've heard people say, and maybe you said it before, heard somebody else say it, you know, I should have been there. It should have been me and not them. I was supposed to be driving, but they, I mean, you know, the whole story. It's a stage. If you've dealt with something hard, there will be grief and guilt and pain associated with it. And then they, scripture, or not scripture, but um, studies show that we go through a season of almost bargaining where we, where we try to find a way out of it. Maybe there's some other way we can get out of this situation. Anger is a big thing that people go through. Where you get angry about what happened. We get depressed. And eventually, people move to this place of acceptance. And a lot of times when we think of acceptance, it's like it didn't happen. Listen, moving to the stage of acceptance doesn't mean it's pain-free. It just means we're able to move forward. Another thing that we need to know about this whole topic of grief. And I wonder if we could just stop for just a minute and I want you to think about something in your life that you've grieved or know somebody who's grieving something. Or maybe something you're grieving now. What, what, what is it? Think about what that might be. 
as we go through these different statements, see how this applies to where you're at. Here's another thing when we think about the season of grief. We tend to compare our grieving process with someone else's, and we got to be careful with that. In fact, couples that lose a child, not always, obviously, but the, the divorce rate is fairly high, and the reason for that is one of them is going through the process of grieving in a different way than the other one, and then their resentment comes in. In the same way, we as parents and grandparents understand that our children are different. I have three. I all love them. They all have strengths, but they all process life differently. They all move through things differently. They all respond to things differently. That's easy for us to wrap our brains around. If you have a sibling, maybe you're not a parent, maybe you're a teenager, you have brothers and sisters, and they're not like you, and you're not like them, and you don't want them to be like you, and you don't want to be like them. And and the way that we understand that, and and that's a simple thing that we all get, we chuck that away when it comes to the grieving process. You aren't taking long enough to get over, Dad. Something's wrong with you. Right? We, we, We don't say that, maybe, but we feel that way. You're taking too long to get over, Dad. Something must be wrong with you. We have to be careful not to compare our grief with someone else's grief, amen? And we have to begin to realize everyone else has a different grieving process. Here's another thing today, and I think this may be for somebody. Maybe, it's, maybe they're at home, maybe they're here. Maybe it was the first service, I don't know. But sometimes we can almost feel guilty when we feel like moving forward. And we're kind of ready to move forward, and someone else reminds us, no, it's not time to move forward. Or we get frustrated because someone else is dealing with COVID differently than we are. They're over it, and you're not, or you're over it, and they're not. I mean, all kinds of different things. And, and we tend to feel guilty. Can I tell you, don't feel guilty if you feel like moving forward. And remember, moving forward doesn't mean that you're moving forward pain-free. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, some of you have been through some heavy stuff where you've lost someone that you care about, someone really close to you. And let me tell you, that's just not going to go away. That, there's no one in your life that's going to come in and replace the hole that someone created. I have people in my life that have passed away and I appreciate the rest of the people in my life and they all have significant meaning to me, but none of them are going to replace this other person in my life. That's why they're special. That's why that relationship was what it was. So I can move forward and I can turn the light on and I can move ahead in my life. That doesn't mean it's pain-free. There's a time when God set this whole thing up in the beginning. Sin was never supposed to be part of the plan, but it is now. So because of that, there is a time to mourn and a time to grieve. Before we had Noah, we had a, 
we had a miscarriage. And it was, like, I can't imagine what it was like for wit, but I just remember just feeling numb. We went home. We turned every light in the house on. We didn't have any kids then. It was just, it was just the two of us. We turned every light in the house off, and we just went to sleep. We didn't really talk. I don't remember who turned the light on first. I don't remember if it was the next morning or we laid around and took the day off and it was the next day. I, I don't remember. But I remember there was a day where we, we moved forward. We went back to work, but there was still pain there. And I just want to talk to somebody today who's, who's listening You don't have to always be pain-free to move forward. Sometimes you just put one step and one foot in front of the other. Take grief out of it. Take any topic you want to talk about. If we connect our feelings to whatever it is, our feelings are always going to lead us astray at times. So there was two things today that I told you at the beginning that I wanted us to consider. And really, I've spent a lot of time today just describing. But I think really it comes down to two things that need to happen when it comes to this topic of grief. Somehow we have to invite Jesus into our grief. And we need to tell someone else about our grief. I don't know about you, but I'm not always good at letting other people in. I mean, it's easy to stand up here and talk that way. But, you know, the personal stuff. I didn't tell Age that I wasn't okay. He kind of, I hung out with Age. I was connected to a staff of people and people that kept me connected and then he had to keep nagging me about it in a good way before I finally said, I'm not okay. That's why the, that's why the church is so powerful. That's why the community, community is so powerful. We need each other, amen? That's why bars are filled. People, whether you're an atheist or a Christian, everybody's trying to find community. Whether we find the right community or not is a different topic. But the reality is we all need community. And we're looking for that. And the church should be the first place that people look for community and find community. But what if you took your grief? If this was your grief, maybe you'd have a bigger cup, depending on what your grief is. So I have water in here. But if I, if I just hold this, you know, this is my grief, you really don't know what's inside of it. Yeah, I have grief. That's pretty general. But it's pretty vulnerable to say, Jesus, that's what it is. Be careful. It's painful. You want to what? 
You want to help me carry it? Oh, you died so you could carry it? I can't think of a story that illustrates that better than the story I talked about earlier with Job. See, I just, I intentionally didn't give you the whole scripture here. It says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, if you remember me talking about that earlier. But then it says, he shaved his head. That's just the thing they did when they were grieving. And then he fell to the ground to worship. And when I would, when I would read that as a, as a kid and even as an adult, I would think, what is, this is crazy. He learns of his family dying. He's inflicted with all these sores. He loses his worldly possessions. His wife is a real joy. She tells him to curse God and die. She's a great helper. And he hears of this, and he, he tears his robe. Okay, don't know that I'm going to tear my shirt, but that's what they did. They would tear their robes. And he, and he, scripture says that he gets down on his knees and then he worships God. And when I think of him doing that, I'm thinking of almost like, is he down on the ground saying, celebrate Jesus, celebrate. You know, like something bad has just happened and here he is down on the ground worshiping God. And I started to realize that really what worship is, isn't about this necessarily positive worship thing. Sometimes worship means something happens to us and it's heavy and it stinks and it's way beyond anything that we could ever imagine would happen in the midst of our grief. We fall down and we tear our robes and we shave our head and we're not okay. But in the midst of that, I think what worship is, is not losing sight that God is still God despite the pain and the suffering that we're dealing with. And so when he went to the ground and he started worshiping God, it wasn't celebrate Jesus. My kids are gone. My livestock is gone. Everything in my life was gone. It was a simply falling to the ground and the first person he thought of to hand off his pain and grief to was Jesus. Worship isn't always feelings. I've thought of this many times as a pastor. We create this environment in churches where people come together and they stand and they pray and we put the lights on and there's a bunch of music playing because, you know, and we do everything transition-wise just right so there's no pregnant pauses in the service and everything is just so. We've planned it all out and we've threw and everything that I'm going to say is on here for you to be able to remember and even write down if you want to and there's nothing wrong with all those things. But that's not how life works. You plan to have a child and you haven't had one yet. You plan to have a job and you can't find one. You plan for your mom and dad to stay together and they haven't. And the next couple they married haven't. You didn't plan to have cancer and you've got cancer. And none of us plan to be in COVID. Celebrate Jesus, celebrate. I don't think so. 
I think it's taking our pain to Jesus and worshiping him first over the, you know, going to the throne instead of the phone, instead of posting, instead of bad-mouthing, instead of resenting, instead of getting angry, right? It's going to manifest itself in some way. Instead of doing all those things, we fall down to our knees and say, oh, Jesus, help me. That's worship. That's worship. That's not celebrate Jesus, celebrate, or, or I ran out of that grave, but that's worship. Now, I can, I can get my mind around worship in that way during a season of grief. I understand the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of any kind because the testing of your faith produces perseverance and all these things that go into that. I get all that, and that's good. Sometimes a loss is really bad. It's really hard. And maybe before I can consider it pure joy, because I know that's going to happen too. Maybe that's the last stage of grief, acceptance, where I can, I can accept what happened. It doesn't mean I'm always going to be pain-free, but I can accept it, and I can move forward, and I can look back and say it's joy. But in the meantime, I'm kind of like Job, where I don't see the joy, but I am going to put God first, and I'm going to say, here's my grief, here, here what it, here's what it is, and I'm just going to let you be here with me, God. Pastor Jim, I talk about all the time. He's like, a, he's like a second dad to me. He was pastor here for 35 years. I remember the very first time I went in and we went into somebody who'd lost someone really close to him, not just like somebody who's 99 years old and has lived a full life. You know, we're still sad, but the natural of order of things, right? I'm talking about that one where like... And Jim's like, hey, now when you go in there, don't say nothing. It's called a ministry of presence. You're just here. They're not going to remember what you have to say anyway, but they'll remember you're here. I think that comes from Jesus. Lazarus has been dead four days. Jesus knows he's going to heal him. But he just, he's, Scripture says Jesus wept. Jesus didn't say, didn't, Jesus didn't start crying and say, now listen, hang on just a minute. I'm going to comfort you because I'm getting ready to heal him in just a minute. He didn't do that. He allowed himself to weep. I wonder today, because we're about done, if someone just needs to take a minute and be real with yourself and real with God. Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads. Those online too, just a minute. Are you being honest? And then I want to talk to this other group of people who know you're stuck. It's not that you can't embrace the grief season. You're starting to worship the grief season and you're refusing to move on. 
because somehow you believe if you move on, you're not acknowledging what happened. What does the Holy Spirit want to say to you right now? What if we were like Job today, just this quiet moment that's here? And worship wasn't standing and lifting our arms in the air. Worship was coming, falling to the ground as Job did. Just saying, God, you're still God. I can't stand and say, God, you're still God, but I'm laying on the floor saying, God, you're still God. The season of grief is a biblical thing. It's a healthy thing. And it's a necessary thing. As we stand together this morning, I just wonder if you're coming into the grief, if you're find, trying to find purpose in the grief, if you're feeling guilty for wanting to move out of the grief, if you know somebody who's in the middle of it, how does God want you to respond? As we move into a time of worship, what if we were to just say, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. What if someone today invited Jesus into their grief and as a testimony told someone about their grief, someone that could hold them accountable, someone that could walk with them?